ought we to be? Let me just say right here, I'm going to give a little introduction that Scripture is very clear, Jesus is very clear, that we've been called to be disciples and then to make disciples. We're not called to be converts or to make converts. That's a huge failure of much of the American church that is fixated on conversion only. We've become strong in in much of the church in, in making converts, but weak in making disciples. And a true disciple, a true disciple is a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus. Not a friend of Jesus. Not just a believer on Jesus. Not a supporter of Jesus. Not an applauder. Oh, how many people go to church today and they just applaud God. They applaud Him and celebrate Him when He's called us to follow Him, to take up our crosses, deny ourselves, and follow after Him. A true disciple is a follower of Jesus, and that was the way He called the first 12. He called them, come and follow me. Come and follow me. My friend, Scripture is also clear that everybody is following somebody or somebody's. Everybody is following something or some things like Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, your favorite cable news network, your favorite blogger or political pundit, a favorite prophet or TV preacher. Jesus warned us about following the wrong people, following blind people. He warned us. He said, if you, if, if you follow the blind and you are blind yourself, you both fall into a ditch. Jesus warned us, be careful who you follow. Follow after me. I don't know about you, but I decided a long time ago that I will follow Jesus Yeah, the road gets narrow and the road gets long, but still I will follow him. That means that even if I'm in a hard place, I followed him there. Did you get that? Even if I'm in a place of pain at the moment, I followed him there. He led me there. And you know what that means? If I keep following him, he will lead me out of that place. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not just to it to stay, but yea, though I walk through it, the psalmist says, he will never leave me nor forsake me. Whatever he has led me to, he will lead me through. Hallelujah. I don't know, I just felt like somebody needed that little introduction right there. If you are a follower of Christ, then he's leading you. And wherever you're at, you didn't just stumble up in there all by yourself. If you're truly following him, he's led you there. And sometimes, and we look at the life of Jesus, the Father will lead you to a place of suffering. Sometimes he will. But he's with you there to reveal something about him, to reveal, give you a revelation of him like you never could have received in the place of convenience and comfort. 
God is always there leading you if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because you know, I'm telling you, we're in times right now that our, our faith has got to inform us in all things. Our faith, which is the light and the salt. I want to read that again. We read it at the, uh, toward the end of the message last Sunday. Get everybody on the same page. Jesus gave us the definition of a church, of a people, of an individual that is a true follower. He said this in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That light, that's our faith. That's our faith in Jesus. The light and the salt, that's the hope of Christ that lives, who lives within us. And we must be led in everything by that light today. And we must let that light shine upon others. I mean, in our voting, in our employment, in our relationships, in our social media, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This little light of mine, the old song says, <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. The light is Jesus. I'm the carrier. You are the carrier of that light. And you know what that means? Don't blame me for what the light reveals. I'm going to say that again. We're not to blame for what His light might reveal. You're not to blame. 1 Peter 2.9 speaks of it this way. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Look, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. <clears throat> that was a King James moment. That ye should show forth the praises. That's one way we let the light of Jesus be seen. We, we openly give thanks to God. I mean, most of the time when people say, I say, I'm doing great, thanks be to God. Everything is well, glory to God. Thank God for that. Because it's all because of His faithfulness. It's all because of the light that shines upon us. Church, we're in an hour where we cannot be confused with trying to emulate the world and the things of the world and the trends and the styles of the world. We are a peculiar, set-apart people. We're not called to be trendy, to be popular, to, to get more likes, to get more followers. We shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't talk like the world. We shouldn't act like the world. We should not even think like the world. Because understand something. When we do, that makes us friends with the world. And Scripture is very clear. To be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Let's just read that in James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people. Now I want to stop right there. Well, let's read the whole verse since you see it. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world 
means enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Wow. Now, most of the time when God is using the accusation of adultery or adulterous people, he is not talking about physical slash sexual adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. You've put someone before me in your heart. You've committed spiritual adultery. And he says, if that is the case, if that is the description of your life, then you have become a friend of the world. And to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Now, friendship with the world. I am not going to stand here and try to pretend or even suggest that I can uh, literally, definitively define friendship to the world. But I will say, ask the Holy Spirit to define for you if there is friendship of the world going on in your life. And that's because everybody's world is not the same. I mean, obviously culture, nationality, and certainly the maturity level of your faith have a lot to do with the definition of friendship with the world as it applies to your own life. But ask the Holy Spirit, am I doing things that, that, are, that I'm, I'm a friend of the world? Have I, have I become a friend of the world? Because I don't want to be an enemy of my God, and I'm an enemy of God if I'm a friend of the world. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I say that all the time to those around me, those I lead, those I invest in, those I spend time with. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Maybe something is right, but not righteous. Hmm. That's a whole other sermon for another day. Do not let convenience control your life. Do not let comfort define your faith. The Bible calls the days that we're living in days of terror. Perilous times. That's how the end times are described. And perilous, same as terror. Times of terror that we live in. These are perilous or days of terror. We have to live out our faith in the midst of that. And I believe our faith in living it out is going to be more inconvenient and more uncomfortable than ever before. But at the same time, you know what? It's going to be more worth it than ever before as well because we're going to see the salvation of the Lord more than we've ever seen it before. We're going to be able to be a part of reaping a harvest that others sowed, others gave and sacrificed and prayed and cried and suffered and sowed. And we're coming along to reap and have the rejoicing and the blessing of reaping in the places where we didn't even sow. That's what we're a part of in this final great harvest before Jesus comes back again. I said this recently, and it came up in my spirit this morning. We are having to fight for things we never had to fight for before. Never had to fight to maintain your peace all of a sudden, you find like you're fighting just to remain at peace. You're having to fight for your joy. 
I mean, the, again, the thief, the thief we were talking about, he's the robber, my wife said earlier, coming to steal and kill and destroy everything. And even health. Some of you didn't ever have to struggle and fight to be healthy like you're fighting maybe now like never before. But I want to tell you something. There's something about that thing, that thing that, that, that you fight for. Man, it holds great value. It is worth it. Man, if you had to fight to get it and fight to keep it, that is, that is something that is worth it. Hallelujah. That makes it worth it. It's valuable. When things come so easy all the time, there's no value in it. We have a lot in this next generation that don't understand that you got to work hard and commit yourself and be responsible. You can't sleep till noon every day. Uh-oh. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let me move on. King James, another King James moment. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. Just defining a little bit about what that light is, who that light is. And verse 7, but we have that treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure, this treasure of the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, this treasure of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, this treasure that is the excellency of the power of God. Thus... Verse 8 goes on to say, We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Because of that we are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Look, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. This flesh is all it's going to do. On your best day, I hate to tell you, your flesh is still dying. It is slowly decaying and slowly dying. We are going to exchange this decayed, weakened, frail flesh for a glorious, immortal body like the resurrection body of Jesus one of these days soon and very soon, I do believe. But think it not a strange thing that this body is, is failing, this physical body is decaying and dying at the same time. It houses an eternal, glorious treasure who is the light and life of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Church, let me remind you, the grace of God is still sufficient for you in this hour. 
I believe the grace of God is doing a warring work like never before. A warring work in my life. That where I'm weak, where I feel weak, where I feel inadequate, where I feel unqualified, where I feel unprepared, where I feel frustrated, where I feel distracted, His strength is made perfect and His grace is sufficient. That's because, as I said last Sunday, there are more thieves in these times than ever before as Satan knows his time is short. I don't know about you, but I borrow from the words of an old song that says, I've come too far to turn back now. Now, for those of you just saved a few years, for those of you under 40, and you've asked the question, maybe more than ever lately over the last few years with the plague and the pandemic and all of, the, all of that, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it to serve the Lord? Is it worth it to endure hardship, sufferings, persecutions, canceling, rejection, misunderstanding? I can stand here before you and tell you, you're looking at a living example. And I can say to you, yes, you younger generation people, you that have not been saved for a very long or a long period of time, I can stand before you and say, yes, it is worth it all to serve the Lord. Some 40 years for me of serving God. I grew up in the church. I, I was raised in the church. I know when I was baptized, I was baptized at 12 years of age, and I point to that as the moment or the, you know, the, day, the day, if you will, of my conversion because I was raised in the Pentecost church in the Pentecostal way, and God has kept me all of these uh, 50 almost years, because I'm 61 this year. Yes, the way has been hard. The way has been tough. You suffer loss. You suffer rejection. You're cast down. You're, you're, you're misunderstood. But I can tell you, it is worth it. There is no better way, my younger friend. There is no better way to live your life than to live your life for Jesus. Because I can tell you right now, church, your salvation, my friend, your salvation, whether you're 20, 30, 40, or 80, your salvation is nearer and at hand, nearer than when you first believed. You are closer to your eternal reward than when you first believed just by virtue of natural years. I am way beyond the halfway mark to my eternal destination and I'm not about to give in, give up, or give out now because I can see the lights of the city that is called heaven and I know I'm going to make it there very soon. Maybe it helps you to hear somebody tell you that. A living, breathing person. There is no better way. There is no other way. Let me just say it like that. If you intend to see Jesus face to face, but to walk with Him, to have Him as your Lord and Savior, to walk hand in hand with Him and serve Him all the remainder, all of the days of your life. Hallelujah. I want to mention something in a, in a, in a culture in a culture that is crazed about rights, rabid over personal rights. You know, there was a letter to a church in the book of Revelation. It's the letter to the church of Laodicea. It's the last of the seven letters 
And there are those, well, and, and I'm one of them, that believe that these letters spoke very prophetically to seasons and times and periods of time within the church from the day of Pentecost forward. There are those Bible scholars that study this uh, Bible prophecy more than I do, and they, they believe that the letter to the church of Laodicea that we're going to read from in Revelation 3 uh, represents the church from about the year 1900 until the return of Christ. It sort of kind of uh, defines the church. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But here's something interesting about the word Laodicea. It means this, the rights of the people. Wow. It's all about rights today. This final letter to the Laodicean church, and again, written to a church. There's a message in this letter that is very applicable to us today. Think about it. Everything in American culture right now is extremely focused on personal rights. Extreme emphasis on personal rights, on economic rights, on social rights, on gender rights, on cultural rights, on civil rights, and of course political rights, the rights of the criminals being put above the rights of the victim across this nation every day. The rights of those entering our country illegally are being placed above the rights of American citizens. Defense of people's rights is driving everything about American society, even at the expense of God's rights. And that's what I want to talk about for the next few moments. But let's read Revelation chapter 3, this letter written to the church of Laodicea, which means it's all about rights. That's what the word Laodicea means. These are the words of, to the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because of your lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich, white clothes to wear. So you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. To be earnest, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is speaking to a church. What? He, Jesus, you standing on the outside of your church? The church you died to birth? You gave your life for the church to be born? Your bride? And you're standing on the outside knocking. That's a sad indictment against a church that Jesus is on the outside knocking, trying to get in. Wow. In all of the trumpeting of personal rights today, I want to ask the question, what about God's rights? Maybe it's time to surrender some of our rights 
and understand God's rights like He has every right to your heart. He has every right to your love. He has every right to your surrender. God certainly has every right to be on the inside of His church. He has every right to tell me what to do. He has every right to my obedience. He has every right to my praise. After all, my praise belongs to Him anyway. He has every right to my worship. He has every right to my mind, my will, my emotions. God has every right to be first in my life because without Him I would be lost and without hope. When we put His rights first... He puts our rights first. When we put his rights first, he says, I know what you have need of even before you ask. When we put God's rights first, he says, I will add everything else you need to live a life of abundance. Father God says, delight in me and I will delight in you. Sing to me, I will sing over you. Give to me, I will give to you. Pray to me, I will answer you. Pour out to me and I will pour out into you. What about my rights, you ask? You have the right to trust God. You have the right to praise Him. You have the right to obey His Word. You have the right to let your light shine before others. You have the right to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How about rights like that in this day and in this hour? You have the right to raise your children in the fear of the Lord. You have the right to call your son he and your daughter she. You have the right to teach your children the ways of God. You have the right to live by faith. You have the right to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not under your own understanding. You have the right to acknowledge Him in all your ways and watch Him direct your path. These are the kind of people we ought to be. This is the kind of church we ought to be. No, let me just change that. This is the kind of church we are. Hallelujah. This is the kind of church we are. That wasn't the end of the letter to the Laodicean church, Revelation 3.21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right. Oh, he's going to give you another right. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. My friend, in this, in this rights-crazed age, let us understand the rights that God has and any right that we have is, 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 is toward Him and because of, uh, of honoring and delighting ourselves in Him and focusing on God's rights to our life, to our decision-making, to our marriages, to our gender, to our worship, to our praise, to our career, to our bodies, to our relationships, to our finances. God has all the rights, not us. We are not going to be a people demanding our rights. We're going to be a people that are going to delight ourselves in God, that are going to ask and seek and knock and watch Him provide, because He will. He will provide every right that heaven affords us will be ours if we focus on God's rights in our lives today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
as we draw nearer to the end, in the end of this temporary part of our journey, the gospel is a harder message than ever before. It's more out of the mainstream, if you will, than ever before. Gospel Truth, capital T, becoming hate speech more and more, becoming extreme language, being canceled more and more. It's being labeled even as conspiratorial, homophobic, intolerant, unloving. There you go. The exclusive, woo! Exclusivity, help me God, of the gospel message is a hard message. Yes, it is. And you know something about the gospel message? Toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, his message got harder. Because he started saying things like this, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. They got all out of whack. What in the world? That is a hard... And Jesus turns to the twelve and says, you think that's a hard saying? Have you had enough? Y'all going to leave now too? Do you understand Jesus at the end of his ministry, his crowds were smaller than ever before. Yeah, the crowds shrunk. You can read that in the Gospels because it, it, it says, and many of the disciples turned and departed from him. That was a hard word. They turned away and never followed him again because even his message was harder, more extreme, it seemed, there towards the end of his earthly ministry. The gospel message is more extreme. It's harder than ever before. It's more, uh, uh, um, um, what am I trying to say? It's, it's more um, considered more like hate speech and divisive than it ever has before. And friends, I hope you understand that when I stand up here, the last thing in the world I ever do, at least I, I try to never do it, I don't ever stand up here to plan to just give you my opinion. <laughs> I cannot stand up here and give you my personal preferences on matters pertaining to life, politics, culture, medicine, etc. That doesn't mean that I don't have opinions. Sure I do. I have COVID-19 opinions. I have social media opinions. I have medical opinions. I have parenting opinions. I don't stand up here week after week after week trying to persuade you with my opinions. And there's a, there's a trend, such a dangerous trend in the body of Christ right now where pastors are standing and endorsing political positions, endorsing political candidates, endorsing political parties. I don't do that, I never have, and I never will. Well, Pastor, what do you think about? Doesn't matter what I think, what I feel, what I have to say. It only matters what thus saith the Lord is, because the only words, the only words that will not fall to the ground, the only words left standing when all else is gone are the words of the Lord. My friend, if you're not building your life on thus saith the Lord, you're setting yourself up for a fall, and great will be your fall. If your peace is based on the words of men, then you will lose that peace based on the words of men. Mm -hmm. 
If it was the words of men that gave you peace, well, you may be at peace for a while, but it's going to be the words of men to take that peace away from you one day. If your joy is based upon some news report or some political race or some new law, laws change, politics change, news reports change. I'm not basing my joy, my peace, my hope on anything of this world because it's all going to burn up. It's all heaven and earth are going to fade away, pass away, but the word of the Lord will stand forever because anything man gives to you, man can take away from you. Man locked us down, man let us out. I'm just here to tell you, man is going to lock us down again going to try to because boy men love that kind of power they love that kind of power folks I don't want to stand up here and give you opinions I want to defend the doctrines of the faith to the best of my ability and I want nothing more I want nothing less than to hear the clear voice of God in the midst of unclear voices swirling within and without of the church because there are many and I want to close with this Jesus said, I've read it recently, Matthew chapter 24. What are the signs of the end, they asked. What are the signs of the end, Jesus? Tell us. At, the, at that time, the time of the end, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Now, wait a minute now. He said many will turn away from one another. No, they'll turn away from the faith. Once godly people... Turning away from the faith, betraying, and even hating one another, a sign of the end. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, understand that now, the increase of wickedness. Now, I read from Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 60 a few weeks ago. Uh, in the midst of the increase of, of wickedness, arise and shine the glory of the Lord. In the midst of darkness and gross darkness, the glory of the Lord is going to fall and move across this land. All, it's going to be happening all at the same time. So, yes, there's an increase of wickedness. And because of looking at that stuff and listening to that stuff, the love... Now, I don't know what translation you're reading. This is the in, in New International Translation. It, it, I, thought it, I thought for a minute, and I had to look again. It says that, that, it, that it always says the love of many will grow cold. That's pretty bad. It says the love of most. Jesus is talking about people that are current, were, were currently and maybe now currently in the faith. In the faith. The love of most will grow cold. But the one endures and stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, and that's the good news. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Where darkness abounds, his glory light shines even brighter. Where wickedness will be on the increase, the gospel of the kingdom of God is going to be on the increase and be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then and only then can the end Come, then and only then. How are we then to be living? What kind of people ought we to be? People that understand our own rights or people that want to know what's God's right? What are his rights? 
people that want to hide our light because we're afraid of being misunderstood. We're afraid of being canceled. My friend, you're going to be canceled. If you're going to use social media, certainly use it as a gospel witnessing tool. Please use it as a gospel witnessing tool. We may not have it much longer. And value assembling together. More valuable than ever before. Know as well. Holy Spirit, show me if I've become a friend to the world. If, yeah, it was okay to do it, but should I be doing that? It's right, but is it righteous? What is friendship of the world or to the world for each one of us? The Holy Spirit will show you based on your world. And each one of us, our world, if you will, is different and unique to us. Something that is friendship to the world for you might not be friendship to the world to me. Something that's friendship to the world to me might not be friendship to the world to you. Let the Holy Spirit bring the conviction and the clarity. Maybe this is something that's friend, friend, friendship to the world. I need to let that go. I need to cut that off because I don't want to be an enemy of God, the one I love, the one I serve. The kind of people we ought to be as we wait for and watch for His appearing. People that know the only rights that we have are afforded to us by God. Not by America, not by the Constitution, not by the Declaration of Independence. It's really God. If we have freedom, it's because of God. If we have any right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it's because of God. If there's any real statue of liberty, the statue of liberty is the cross of Jesus Christ first and foremost. That cross is our true statue of liberty, if you will, in this time. It always has been. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray. God, by your spirit, Lord, you move. Wow. You spoke to us through spiritual gifts this morning. Tongues and the interpretation of tongues and confirming what's in your heart. You are still a God who does miracles, who, does, who heals all of your diseases and infirmities. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Are you in this room today and maybe you've never you've never said uh, I want Jesus to be my Lord I want Jesus to forgive my sins I want Jesus to save me from myself I need a Savior Pastor Calvin would you pray for me because I need a Savior today I need to say, I need to, to know my sins are not going to be held against me on that final day of judgment, but that my sins have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus. Is that anybody in this room? Just so I can see your hand, stick it up quickly. I just want to see it. Yes, God bless you. You can put it down. Yes, God bless you. You can put it down. Anybody else? I need a Savior. Yes, I need a Savior.
Let's stand together. Right where you are, he hears the prayer and the cry of your heart right where you're standing. You can in this moment, all you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my life and wash my sins away. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter from this day forward. It's not complicated at all. The prayer of your own heart, Lord, save me. If you're praying a prayer like that, we, we do want to you know, pray with you here at the front. That's not required. If you're okay with that, we'll, well, I'll meet you right here. You can step out and come and I'll pray more personally with you right here in the front in this altar area. I'll be happy to do that. If you want to come, you can come. But whether you step out and come here or not, from your heart, because God hears the cry, knows, knows the cry of your heart, and from your heart, He will hear you as you cry out to Him right where you're at. Because see, He's going to leave here with you. I'm not. I'm not going home with you. I'm not going to be with you when you wake in the morning, but Holy Spirit will be with you. He will be with you. He will be with you from this day forward if you have asked him to. So now, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, make Jesus real. This is a moment to be remembered, to be marked in the lifeline of those who responded to you today. This is a moment to be marked. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this moment for those who said, I need Jesus, I need a Savior. You're responding to them right now. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bear witness that this is now a son, a daughter, a child, your child seated at your table and you will be with them from this day forward. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you for your salvation. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Yes. Sing it again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood, blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, that's washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, saved my life. Brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Thank you for that light, Lord, that we walk in that light, that marvelous light, and we let it shine as followers of Jesus, followers, disciples of you letting our light shine each and every day. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, the Lord, thank you, Father. Bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you. You can be dismissed. The Lord bless you.